we have been in this teaching series uh, all summer long called Kingdom Come. Somebody say Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come. And we get that from Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, where um, the disciples ask Jesus, how do we pray? And he says that we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's this idea of looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We understand that the kingdom, the word kingdom, refers to the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus. It really means king's dominion. It is his rule and his reign. It's his territory. And the Sermon on the Mount is a, a Jesus manifesto of sorts on the way to experience true human flourishing. Flipping the world upside down. It's his cultural uh, countercultural way of living, this alternative society. It's not a theory, but an actual new reality for us to enter into. And the running thread throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount is the message that Jesus came to proclaim, which is repent, which means to turn or change, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the word near is a verb. Really, the kingdom of heaven is moving. Kingdom of heaven is moving in. We are in the midst of that continual move right now because in the incarnation, which means when God became flesh, entered into the neighborhood through Jesus, he initiated the kingdom of God. He initiated this new reality. And in the Sermon on the Mount, it's the core teachings of Jesus, what it means to be and how to live as a follower of the way of Jesus. If we remember Matthew chapter 4, Jesus invites the disciples to follow him. He precedes this whole sermon with a call to follow. He's extended that invitation to all of us, not just to make a decision or just to pray a prayer, but to surrender everything to follow Jesus and enter into this new reality called the kingdom of God. And if this is Jesus's primary sermon, then the primary statement of his ministry that kind of sums up the Sermon on the Mount, all three chapters, is found in Matthew chapter 22. We looked at it in, in, in depth earlier this year when Jesus is asked, which is the greatest of all the commands? And Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. They ask for one, he gives them two. To love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, and our entire way of life as followers of Jesus. In summary, where we have been, we have walked through the Beatitudes together, Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes kind of show us our posture as kingdom people, as followers of the way of Jesus. That shows us our posture. Then we talked about being salt and light. He kind of gave us, this is your purpose. This is what your purpose is. Here is your job description. You want a job description as a follower of Jesus? Because we've been trying to figure this thing out. What's it mean to follow Jesus? What's our job description, our purpose? Be salt and light. And then he goes into the six uh, antithetical statements um, where we look at our desires, where he says, you have heard it say, well, you have heard it said, but I say. He kind of goes into this antithesis. Uh, looking at our desires. What are your actual desires as a follower of Jesus or as a person? Let's look at your desires. Forget your actions. I get your actions, but like, let's look at the desires. If your actions are on par, but your desires aren't, we're missing the mark. We're missing something here. And then he talks about treasures and money. Stephen preached a few weeks ago. I think he killed it. I listened to the podcast. He killed it. Hello. Some of y'all probably felt real convicted, you know what I'm saying? Talking about money, right? And we talked about possessions, and then we go into, a couple weeks ago, Nikki preached and talked about the idea of how do we treat others and this idea of our character. What is our character as followers of the way of Jesus? 
And then last week, Trey taught on what's it look like to be true disciples? Are we truly disciples or not? And this idea of obedience and a relationship with the Lord. The, the greatest desire for the Lord for us is to do his will, which means his purpose to do his purpose, what he has for us. And now, today, we get a chance to wrap up this series on a couple of verses that, as a uh, product of our culture, recently have been sticking out to me greatly in Matthew chapter 7. So go ahead and jump in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. And today, I'm actually going to read from the ESV. I'm going to be extra saved today and read from the ESV. Matthew 7, verse 13 through 14. That's, a, that's just a Bible Christian joke. You just hop on board if you're new, okay? It's totally cool. Matthew 7, verse 13 through 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Lord Jesus, Thank you so much that you're already here in this place. You're already moving. You're already doing something beautiful here this morning. I'm asking for you to continue to move. God, I want to see lives transformed. That's my heart. That's my, that's my desire. I know that's your desire. You want to transform our heart. You want to make us whole, make us new, not fix us. You want to make us brand new, new heart, new mind. Transform us this morning. We love you. Meet us here today as we proclaim your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Anyone in here like to fly? You like the airports? Anybody like airports at all? There's something to me that's exhilarating about being in the airport. You know what I mean? Where you just honestly, you're like, you get that much more excited. Your adrenaline starts rushing being in the airport, especially the ones that have the long, you know, um, like walkways where you can just stand and it just takes you on down. I love that. Love it. Because um, I'm lazy. Don't want to walk, obviously. And... Uh, you ever notice that people all dress the same in the airport, too? It's like one big slumber party. Everybody's, like, in their pajamas. You know what I mean? They got sweatpants on, right? Like, just, just laid out. People all laid out. They just, like, hanging out, right? Everybody's, like, got pajamas on. I'm like, what in the world is this, a big slumber party, man? Um, but, but one thing I think is interesting is, have you ever been in the airport and you've passed a gate for Orlando? And you feel like 95% of every person in the airport is at that gate for Orlando. You know what I'm saying? And then you notice across the, the, the terminal, there's a gate for a random city like Omaha. And there's like no one. You know what I mean? There'll be like 10 people sitting over there. And they're all like over the age of 60 because they've been traveling for vacation. They're going back home to see their kids, grandkids, whatever. And they got this whole like massive group of people going to Orlando. They already got their Disney stuff on, their Disney pajamas. You know what I mean? They got their Mickey Mouse ears on. They've never even been yet, right? Orlando always just seems to have like 95% of the people in an airport, then you got these other gates where there are cities like, I didn't even know that city existed, you know what I mean, like Little Rock, you know, Des Moines. You're like, are these real places? Like, is your, is your, is your plane going somewhere? There's like never anyone in the gate. Well, I think that the visual that Jesus is, is painting for us in these two verses is just that. However, the reality is one road, one path, one way leads to life, and the other leads to destruction. Jesus keeps it very 
simple and clear in a world and in a culture and in a society that says there are multiple roads that lead to the same place. We know that's not true. My wife was trying to go to Winston to go to PT and started going east on 40. She's not going to end up in Winston. We live in a culture, though, that says all roads lead to the same destination, to the same place. And Jesus keeps it very simple and said there's two roads and there's two destinations. For these uh, disciples here in the first century, they would have understood this idea of roads and the narrow and the wide. See, Roman roads would have been paved. They would have been wide. They've been like the interstate. They were well-traveled. And then you had the Judean roads, which were narrow, rocky, rough, like back roads. You know what I mean? The back roads where it's like you might get a flat tire. You know, like you're praying, I don't get a flat tire on this back road. Like dusty, rocky, and honestly kind of dangerous because that's where robbers and, and thieves would hang out on these narrow roads. And not many people traveled those roads. And he's painting this picture for them, this picture that they would understand. And he gives us the first truth to understand in Matthew chapter 7, it's, it's very elementary when we think about it, but there's a lot of weight. And often I don't think we claim it as truth. So here's that kind of elementary principle that there is only two ways of life on this planet. The narrow and the wide. Two ways. Only two ways of life in our culture, in our life as humans. Two ways of life. There's the narrow way. And then there is the wide way. And then there's also only two destinations, Orlando and, oh, I'm just kidding, destruction. NLT just says hell, straight up, like (laughs) hell and then life. Two ways, two destinations, two gates, one terminal called life. One has many who are on it and leading to a path of destruction that seems grand and glorious, and the other leads to life. One thing is certain, though, we as humans are on one of these two paths. Now, I think, if I'm honest, in this culture that we live in, especially amidst the Western cultural Christianity, we have somehow created this middle road. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where, like, you got the interstate. Like, we go through, like, even the, just the way the highway system is. We have the interstate, the wide. I'm not on that road. Mm-mm, no. That's the wide road. And then we have the narrow road, which is way over here, dusty, rocky, seems scary, leads to life. But then we have this middle road. And we're like, Jesus, can there please just be a middle road, like a middle ground? Can we come to terms with just a middle road we can go on? A little bit of the wide, a little bit of the narrow, right? But still going to life. Oh, and we, we just want three roads, just three. If we had three roads the way our culture is set up, we'd be perfect, set up perfectly. But Jesus says, no, there's just two. There's the wide and then there's the narrow. There's the way to life and then there is the way to destruction. He brings up this uh, phrase again that we've seen over and over and over again. We brought it up multiple times on Sundays during teaching time where he says um, the way. He uses this phrase, the way, which in the Greek is the word hadas. Can you say hadas? So you just learned Greek. That's awesome. Hadas, which literally is translated road or way, but figuratively, uh, a, a course of life, a 
course of life. You know, you, you hear people talk about that's the way of life, right? Like out west when it might be like a rural area and you see how people live and you're like, that's just their way of life, right? It encompasses everything. So this idea of hadas or the way also means a way of life. Our journey with Jesus Understanding it being called the way, we, can, we have to understand this truth, this truth statement, that our faith journey, the way of Jesus, is not siloed in our life. We don't have family, work, friends, recreation, and then our relationship with Jesus. We have our relationship with Jesus, the way of Jesus, in the center of it all. And then everything flows from that in your work, in your family, with your money, with your friends, with your recreation. It impacts every area of your life because it's the way. It is a way of life to be a follower, a disciple, a student of Jesus, to be made new, to be Christ ambassadors, to be kingdom carriers, to be kingdom citizens. And here's a quote from um, someone who I admire greatly and, and listen to a lot of his teachings. If you ever want to read his stuff, phenomenal. His name is John Mark Comer. I have a man crush on this guy. He's amazing. John Mark Comer says, one of the things that we've lost in the West is the reality that the way of Jesus is just that, a way of life. It's not just a set of ideas. If your entire life is not oriented around the way of Jesus, then it is not as Jesus describes the narrow way. If your life is siloed and Jesus is in a silo, that is a middle road and it doesn't exist. It is a part of the wide. And Jesus is calling us to orient our entire life. For some of us, you're like, oh, for real? Yes, why? Because it leads to life. The way of the wide in our culture, even for many who are in, in this framework called cultural Christianity, which a lot of us, if we're honest, fit into the category. The way of the wide is ego, it's individualism, it's control, it's greed, it's lust, it's narcissism, it's arrogance. It's the way of the wide. Way of the wide. The way of the narrow is a way of surrender, it's a way of sacrifice, it's a way of generosity, of love, of discipline, meaning, and obedience. Easy way to describe the narrow is the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and hello, self-control. It's the way of the narrow. And what we try to do sometimes is throw a little bit of all of them in together and create our own little path called my way. And it ends up being this hodgepodge that's all thrown into the way of the wide and not the way of the narrow. However, here's the kicker. Here, here's the kicker to all this. Because there is a gate for both, it means that you are only on one of the two. You can't be on both. You're on one of the two. The wide or the narrow. And here's my biggest, here's, here's my biggest fear. My biggest fear isn't for the person who is on the wide. My biggest fear is for the person who has gotten so close to the narrow gate that they feel as though they have entered and have never walked through. They have gotten so close. You've gotten so close to the narrow way, to the narrow gate, so close that you feel as though that you're in and you have never walked through the threshold of the gate. 
you ever had a conversation with somebody at their house? They invite you over or you show up to somebody's house. Maybe you're delivering something. I don't know. And they have a screen door, glass door. And you just have a conversation with them through the glass door. And you're like, are you going to ever, like, invite me in the house? You know what I mean? Like, I do this all the time, especially with strangers. You don't know them, right? Have a conversation through the glass door. You're never inside the house, but it feels as though you are because you can see. And a lot of us have gotten so close, we can see the life on the other side. But we will never cross the threshold because to get to life on the other side requires death on this side of ourselves. It's dark and scary, and it's surrendered and sacrificed, and it's everything. Can't take your bags. Jesus just says, Come follow me. Come on. There's life. There's life. Some of you in here may be in that space, right? You have gotten so close to entering in. Jesus' grace is on you. You've been gathering with us. Maybe you've been feeling the Holy Spirit. You're feeling the tug. You've heard the gospel preached that Jesus came to love you even, even though you were a mess. And he's offered redemption for your sin, your brokenness. He wants to make you new. You've gotten this close and you realize, but to step forward, I've got to surrender everything. And you're like, ooh. It's a reality for a lot of us in this space. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart greatly. For you to experience life on the other side, you must surrender your life on this side. Jesus keeps it pretty clear. You're on the narrow or you're on the wide. Can't be on both because you have to enter into one of the other. And for you to experience life on the narrow way, you have to surrender your life on this side. That is the primary idea of the gate is a surrender of your life. But the path to destruction has a magnetic pull, doesn't it? Woo! Orlando, come on! Magic Kingdom. I, I've been seeing, the, I've, been, I've been to a couple movies recently, and they've been showing trailers for the Animal Kingdom. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to go back to Animal Kingdom. It looks sick, right? Magnetic pull to the way of the wide. All my friends do it. All my friends live, the way, live that way. All my friends talk like this. But this is how I, I love this one. This is just how I grew up. Well, brother, your parents broken too. You know what I mean? Like your parents need Jesus. I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. It has a magnetic pull to it. The darkness likes to pull us in because sin always over promises and under delivers. Always. Feels good in the moment. Death of the end. Take your pick. It has a magnetic pull to it. You have every under your life. It's fun, it's easy on the way of the wide, and seemingly everyone is on it, but it leads to a destination of loneliness, emptiness, and ultimately to death and destruction. Death and destruction. So you're asking the question, so how do, how do you know? How do I know if I am on the narrow way? How do I know if I have gone through the narrow gate? How do I know? Simply put, your life will be evidence of which gate you have entered through. Your life will be evidence of which gate you have gone through. If you are on the narrow way, you can't have a life that resembles the way of the wide. You, if you're on the narrow way, you can't live a life that resembles the way of the wide. They don't calculate. They don't, they don't, they don't compute. Again, we live in a culture where there are people who proclaim, I'm on the narrow, straight and narrow, the way of Jesus, and their life looks a lot like the way of the wide. 
but your life will be evidence of which gate that you have walked through. If, listen, here, if the world celebrates it, it's probably not the way. If the media cheers about it, probably not the way. Because it's the many, it's the majority, it's the, it's the bulk. If that's the way that you're on, it's probably not the narrow. It's the way of the wide. And here's another reality we have to understand. So what is this narrow gate, this metaphor that Jesus is using? The narrow gate is Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Jesus and his cross. John 10 Nine says, I am the gate. One of the seven I am statements of Jesus. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Don't we all want some pasture? Come on. Jesus is the gate. He is himself the gate. But what we don't realize is the gate, my friends, the gate is shaped like a cross. The gate is shaped like a cross. And I feel like there's a lot of us who we read Matthew. We read Matthew, Judas, following you. To Matthew 15, we're like, okay, Jesus, I can rock with this. I can do this. Following you sounds cool. You seem cool. I like this. We get to Matthew 15, and then we stop because in Matthew 16, Jesus looks and says that you must pick up your cross daily. You must Died to yourself, and we stop at Matthew 15. A lot of us, friends and family, followers of Jesus, we have stopped at Matthew chapter 15 because of the cost that comes. And the gate is a cross-shaped gate for us to walk through. And it's nothing but surrender. If we follow the way of Jesus, we will literally follow in his footsteps. Guess where those footsteps took him to a cross? But guess what those steps also took him three days later? An empty tomb. Life. Life everlasting. Life abundantly. Jesus has invited you to follow him, but to follow him will require going through the gate that is the cross. And Jesus has been talking over and over again here in the Sermon on the Mount about the kingdom. And he keeps reminding us that it is something that we enter into. We enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That means that the kingdom is an ever-present reality. Now, bam, present reality. The kingdom of God is an ever-present reality that we enter into. The beautiful thing about the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus, is that the narrow way, the way of the kingdom, it leads to life. There is a destination on the other end. It's called life. And the beautiful thing is that this is where the narrow road leads. In John's gospel, 48 times John uses the word life. John's favorite word is life. Matthew's favorite word is kingdom. And the way of Jesus is a kingdom life. Did you catch that? Somebody said, mm-mm, nope. <laughs> John's favorite word to use throughout John's gospel is life. Matthew's favorite word is kingdom. And the way of Jesus is this kingdom life. That your life looks like the kingdom. And that the end destination for those of us who are in Christ, who follow the way of Jesus... Have life and life everlasting. Those who follow the way of wide have life in the physical, but the moment that they die, they are separated forever into a place of destruction, a destination of destruction. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Not only is Jesus the way, but he is also the life. John 10, 10, literally the verse after verse 9. I have come that they, have, they may have life and life to the full. John 1, 4, in him was life. John three sixteen, our favorite verse in the, in the Bible about, for God so loved the world, not perish. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting, what? Life. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Life, 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 and family, I want you to experience life. I want you to experience meaning and purpose, not just existing, but truly living, and not just living, but being alive. When was the last time you truly felt alive? Not just existing and breathing and going to the job back home and, you know, hugging your, your, your significant other and, you know, getting the money and paying the bills and hanging with your friends. You're just going, ah, existing, existing, existing. You never really lived. Never been alive. And Jesus, because he conquered the grave, he has come to give us life, but it requires that we must first surrender ours. The paradox of the gospel, that countercultural way of living. We say live now. Live now. Come on. Live now. Guess what? Die later. Or you die now and live forever. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just basic logic. Logic. But you've got to surrender everything. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in The Cost of Discipleship, probably the most well-known book on discipleship ever written. He says that the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union, hello, union, with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus, it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Wow. He loved Jesus until he says, come and die. Whoop, mm-mm, no. Matthew 15, can we just stop there? Matthew 15, good with me. Matthew 16, I don't know about that. The cross, though, family, the cross, the death of yourself, the death of your carnal self is just the beginning. And I don't know about you, maybe you prayed a prayer one time. Okay. You prayed a prayer. But the Lord has called you not to, to make a decision, just pray a prayer. He's called you to abandon everything to follow him. I mean, a pastor's kid, and I honestly had never experienced what it means to die to myself ever. And I grew up in the church, man, a pastor's kid. I, was, I had a drug problem growing up. I was always drugged to church, always. Drug problem. That's, that's another church joke. You can laugh, Okay. It's cool. It's fine. You can affirm me. I'm cool with it. And I got, I, I, I prayed a prayer, right? I was a kid, prayed a prayer. Lord, I'm a sinner. Come into my life. Oh, we good now? Peace out. You know that? And there was a moment in college where I realized sin leads to death. There's a, there is a, a truth that sin leads to death. 
And in that moment, I had tons of stuff in my life, and the Lord was just stripping me away, stripping me away, stripping me away. It was like a fault line in my life. I had a decision to make. I was either going to run, and then honestly, nothing that had happened before was honest and transparent and real. It was just me going through the motions, or I die to myself and surrender everything for what God has for me, everything that Jesus has for me, and say, everything is yours, Lord, everything. Everything. Who I marry, my calling in life, where I work, my money, even how I dress. And the Lord's got a sense of fashion. Hello. I'm kidding. That's not part of my prayer. But, uh, man, you are a tough crowd this morning, you know, trying to wake y'all up. We were here worshiping. Now you're not laughing. I don't understand. But uh, everything, Lord, you can use me in whatever way that you want. Take me, Lord. I want to be a part of this thing. I want to have a purpose. Strip it away. If I don't need to watch that anymore, if it's corrupting my mind, I'm not going to watch it anymore. If I don't need to listen to that anymore because it's trash, I'm not going to listen to it anymore. If I don't need to hang out with these people right now in this season of my life because I'm not that strong, ooh, I am weak right now. I'm very, very weak. I'm not mature in my faith. Then I won't spend time with those people right now. If I need to break up with Jordan, we need to break up because you know what? Temptation's real. We'll break up. Spend time apart. We need to, we need to, to seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. Surrender everything, and Lord is continually transforming me into Christ's likeness. Do you understand that even me, I'm, dude, I'm on a journey too. Did you know that? Did you know that? that I get tempted by the, by the devil. Temptation's real. I'm trying to follow Jesus like all of us are. I don't just get up and preach. <laughs> like, this is my calling, but your calling might be to, to be a school teacher, or it might be to, 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 work, with, to might work with the deaf. Or it might be to, to work with your hands and to build things. It might be to, to do something else, work at a bank. I, I don't know. Maybe a CPA. Maybe get your PhD and teach. Maybe it's creativity. Maybe it's photography. Maybe it's music. I, 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 we're all following Jesus. And because the, the kingdom's been unleashed, we gather. And the cross is the beginning. And a lot of us haven't gone through the cross. We've walked up close to it, so close we can almost feel it, but we've never stepped through, and the Lord's calling us to step through so we might experience life. Here's something that I want you to understand. The way of Jesus is hard. The way of Jesus is hard. It's hard. That second word narrow in verse 14 in translation, is actually different than the first narrow in verse 13. The second one has to do with this idea of pressed like grapes, compressed, tight, trouble, sorrow. It's hard. Even we see here in the ESV translation, that's why I loved it, because it says the way is hard. You hit hard times, guess what? You're probably following Jesus. But there's life, and there's a deep sense of peace. You know, we don't know, I'm going to wrap up too. Christian, can you come up here? Um, we don't know all that happens at the end of a person's life on their deathbed. We don't know all the things that go on. I'm not a medical doctor. I don't know. Um, but I've been told that um, one of the last things that, that go for a person typically is their hearing. Typically is their hearing. And... Um, I heard a story the other day of a man who was uh, 85 years old on his deathbed. And for weeks, this man had been silent, silent. And at any moment, he could be taken, right? 
any moment. And one day as his elderly wife was sitting there holding his hand, 85 years, that's a long life. It's a long life in the physical. One day he's sitting there and she's holding his hand. He's silent. He hasn't said anything for days. And he utters a couple words in his final moments with his head to the heavens he said amazing just amazing Gene I love you and he was gone we don't know what we encountered with God in the last moments of our life on this planet but I can tell you as a follower of Jesus it's amazing just amazing I got a chance I love when his Billy Graham library in Charlotte saw where he was buried I love when his final quotes where he talks about one of these days you're going to ask what happened? where's Billy Graham what happened to Billy Graham you know Billy Graham's died and he's basically like actually my home was in heaven I was just passing through earth We all have a destination after we die. The moment we take a breath. C.S. Lewis says that we have never encountered mere mortals. There is no ordinary people. We all have a destination. We're all on a path. We're all on a road. Which one are you on today? Two. One, there's two. <laughs> two. Which one are you on today? The good news is that Jesus has provided redemption for those of, those of us or those of you who are on the wide. You're walking down this path of destruction. He has provided redemption where he entered into the mess and provided the cross so that we could enter into the narrow and the, the way of life. Which one are you on today? We're going to have a moment to respond. So just bow your head. Close your eyes.